It's a blessing to be here, and uh, Jumping Branch is my home. And uh, we have a barn, a couple bales of hay in there if you need a place to stay. And I uh, just spread that out, just watch out for the black snake in there. I was uh, putting up a lawnmower uh, this summer, and I uh, pulled open the, the, the it's actually got a garage door on the bottom part of the barn, and there was a snake curling around. And uh, your nephew, Scott, he does not like snakes. And uh, But uh, I brought a couple snakes with me. Y'all snake handlers down here, right? And holy rollers. And uh, I'm just kidding. Uh, we we had a snake handling church for a number of years in West Virginia, in Jolo, West Virginia, McDowell County. It's the poorest county in West Virginia. Uh, but at, at this church, uh, they'd get out rattlesnakes at a funeral. I'm just it, incredible craziness. And uh, But they have since shut down. They had a number of church members die because of getting bit by a rattlesnake or something like that. And craziness goes on. My wife is here. She wasn't here with me last year, but uh, she is my good wife. And uh, somebody laughed about that last night, and uh, she's great. She grew up in uh, outside of Knoxville, Tennessee, at Temple Baptist Church. And uh, she uh, was there when Pastor Sexton arrived and started Crown College and all that sort of thing. And, of course, many of you know that he went home to be with the Lord. And uh, pray for that ministry and uh, that they, they're in search uh, well, they're not in search yet, but they're praying about the next pastor and all that sort of thing there. And, but it's a joy to be with you all here in the Tar Heel State. And uh, would you turn to your neighbor for a moment this morning? Would you turn to your neighbor there beside you and tell them this? You need... Are y'all awake this morning? <laughs> all right, turn to your neighbor. Turn to your neighbor, look at them, and say, you need prayer. And a cup of coffee. <laughs> a really, really strong cup of coffee. So strong it may just show up on a drug test. I mean, uh, but anyhow, I say you need prayer because if you're looking at what I'm looking at right now, you'd say the same thing. I think everybody ought to have the opportunity to preach at least one sermon in their life and uh, watch people stand. How many of y'all are in the choir? And... Uh, you're up there in the choir and you're singing about Jesus, the gospel, the resurrection, the coming again of the Lord. And you look at this congregation and they just look at you as mad as a junkyard dog. And uh, sometimes when you're preaching, you look across through there and it's really, it's probably, they, they look angry because they're hangry. You know, they're hungry. Crock pot's got something good in it and all that sort of thing. And they're ready to get out of there. And uh, uh, Psalm 63 this morning, I'm going to take up too much runway goofing off here a little bit, but I'm getting comfortable and trying to get y'all to smile just a little bit. I know it's raining outside, and uh, but there's showers of blessing in here, right? Psalm 63. Now, I'll warn you, I just got back from Pakistan. How many of you know where that's at? All right, it's right up there close to Jumping Branch. And... Uh, we have one red light in our whole county, uh, Summers County, West Virginia. Hinton, West Virginia, is the county seat of Summers County. There's a red light there uh, in Hinton, but it's really, it's not needed. If I could get by without getting put in jail, I would do away with that red light. Uh, my wife, 
the she knows I don't I don't like red lights. There's certain exits that I will go to traveling on the interstate because I know there's no red lights there. And uh, when you don't grow up around red lights and you come to the big city like Kannapolis, North Carolina, and you got to go through three or four red lights, you know, it's it's a different different thing. But I, anyhow, I just got back from Pakistan, had an incredible trip there, uh, and people over there will, uh, in a church service like this, there's, there's, no, there's no chairs. Everybody sits on the floor. Uh, when they come into the, a church building, uh, it's nothing like this. Uh, but they take their, they all take their shoes off at the door and they come in, and uh, they sit on the ground, and you could preach for four hours, and they'll just sit there. I thought, man, this would never fly in America. I mean, here are ladies that, as old as I mean, look like they came over on the Mayf Mayflower, and they're sitting there. Not aggravated, not mad, not sad, just sitting there just drinking it in. And I thought, man, we've got it so messed up in America. So messed up. And we have been rocked asleep in our comfortable ways here in America. I think we really need to start praying this. Instead of God bless America, God break the Christians. God break us. Can God really bless apathy? Laziness? How many of you have ever worked a job and one of your coworkers was extremely lazy? I hope they're not thinking of you right now. I, I can't stand it. I, we, I still work construction whenever I'm home in between meetings. And we've got one young boy. My dad owns a business. It's extremely small. There's only a couple of us. And really, my dad's probably, uh, him and another guy named Cecil are really the only full-time workers at Wigan Construction. Uh, but dad got this boy. It just graduated from high school. And no one's ever learned him anything, <laughs> really. And, but he'll watch you work. He'll watch my dad work. He's the owner of the business. And now, whenever I was 12 years old, my dad would take me to the job site. If I watched him work, if he was digging a hole with the shovel, and I stood and watched him dig a hole, he'd hit me with the shovel. <laughs> it wasn't going to happen. Now, he's in a little different stage of life, and laws are a little bit different in America now than they were 20-some years ago. But can God bless laziness? Apathy, lukewarmness, God has a lot to say about that in Revelation towards a church. God can't bless that. So maybe we need to put it down on our prayer list. Pull out a pen, piece of paper, and put it down on your prayer list. God, break me. Because God can't bless the sin in our life. We, we, we look at certain sins over here, like sodomy, and murder, and adultery, and theft, and we classify them as big sins. And obviously those surface a whole lot faster than a lie. But God puts lying and homosexuality on the same playing field. 
Both of them are an abomination to the Lord. But how do we treat those two? Oh, little junior here, he just told a, a little fib. Don't call it a little fib. Don't teach them and train. Don't call it a little white light. Don't call it a stretcher. Call it what it is. A lie. Bearing false witness. God can't bless lying, can he? God can't bless laziness. And one of the crying sins of the church in 2024 is their laziness after God. It's one of the crying sins of the church. And I recognize it and I realize it because I fight that battle every day of my own life. Am I going to be after God? Am I going to be in hot pursuit after God? Or am I going to be lazy? Or I'm going to say, you know what, I, I need a day off being a Christian. I've really been after it lately. I've been preaching revival meetings. I've been praying. I've been working on sermons. I've been working on illustrations. I've been trying to gather info and intel and do reconnaissance work and all this sort of stuff. And I've really been after it lately. I just need to take a break as a Christian. The crying sin of the church in 2024 is her laziness after God. Well, thank God there's been some men and women over the years that have not been lazy towards God. It doesn't mean they've been perfect and holier than thou and all that sort of thing. But you look at their life, you read their biographies, you read about them in the Word of God, and they were not lazy towards God. We need a revival of people that are hungering and thirsting after God himself. Psalm 63, let's read this psalm together, and then we'll make uh, three or four thoughts out of this passage, and we'll make our way uh, to a smoke break in just a little bit. Psalm 63, in verse number one, the Bible says, O God, thou art my God. Late in the day will I seek thee. What does the Bible say, church? Early. Early. How many of you are morning people? How many of you are not morning people? <laughs> There's always a few. I think personally from Scripture that there's something special about the morning. You ask Mary Magdalene. That unlikely character that stayed on at the tomb where they had buried Jesus. But when they showed up, he was gone. She stayed around for a little while. She thought the gardener, it was the gardener that was taking care and caring for some things. And if you know where they've laid his body, please tell me. And then Jesus speaks as a father to a daughter and says, Mary. It was early in the morning. Jesus in Mark chapter 1 he gets up very early in the morning and he departs into a solitary place to do what? To pray. Now that was the morning following a very busy schedule. Because if you read Mark chapter 1, he uh, is baptized, he is preaching, he is teaching, he is traveling, he is calling his disciples, he is investing in their life, and then he is dealing with Peter's mother-in-law. I mean, there's a lot going on in Mark chapter 1, verses 1 through 34. 
But yet Jesus gets up very early in the morning and spends time with his heavenly father. The psalmist, David, he says, O God, thou art my God. Early will I seek thee. My soul thirsteth for thee. My flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. To see thy power and thy glory so as I've seen thee in the sanctuary. Because thy loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise thee. Thus will I bless thee while I live. I will lift up my hands in thy name. My soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness, and my mouth shall praise thee with joyful lips. When I remember thee upon my bed and meditate on thee in the night watches, because thou hast been my what, church? Excuse me, I couldn't hear you. What was it? Help. Because thou hast been my... Has God ever helped you? Did you thank Him for it? Did you praise Him for it? Has somebody in life besides the Lord ever helped you? Been a blessing to you? He says, because thou hast been my help. Therefore, in the shadow of thy wings will I rejoice. And verse number seven is a whole other message. And I get distracted. Verse number eight, my soul followeth hard after thee. Thy right hand upholdeth me. But those that seek my soul to destroy it shall go into the lower parts of the earth. They shall fall by the sword. They shall be a portion for foxes. But the king shall rejoice in God. Everyone that sweareth by him shall glory. But the mouth of them that speak lies shall be stopped. Psalm 63 has been a great challenge to me. As I was in Pakistan just a few days ago, I started to look over this verse, and, or this, excuse me, this psalm, and I was actually preparing to speak from Psalm 63 at a youth rally on Friday night, and God didn't give me liberty to do that, and I just kept looking at it and meditating over it, and, and this morning I felt like God had, uh, is allowing me to speak from Psalm 63. This is a challenging, sobering, convicting psalm. You may have this little subtitle, per se, of Psalm 63, a thirsting soul. It may be in your Bible. It's not inspired. And it may say, a psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. There is speculation. There's a difference of ideas of when David was living out Psalm 63. Whether it was in his younger years and Saul was chasing after him because he was very envious. He knew God's hand was on David. People were singing David's praises. They were, the, the ladies had started singing, Saul hath slain his thousands, but David had slain his what? Tens of thousands. Now that's what they were singing. That was the number one hit song on the radio in Israel in that day. They got in their Cadillac and was driving to church on Sunday morning. They turned on the radio and that's what was on. And it topped the charts on iTunes and all these other things. That's what they were singing. Saul couldn't handle it. Saul was becoming more and more bitter because he had disobeyed God and he never truly got right with God. He was sorry he got caught, but he never truly confessed and forsook his sin. He knew that his throne was as a threat, per se, 
of David. So he hunted and chased, pursued after David like a wild animal in the wilderness. That was David's younger years. Then later, after he had mounted the throne of Israel, he decided to take someone else's wife, take someone else's life, and bring strife into his home because of one undisciplined day. Excuse me, one undisciplined moment in his life brought such strife into his heart and home. Absalom would cause some great problems and pain. And David would spend a, a season fleeing. So there's some difference of ideas whether David is young or old. But as I was thinking about this and just meditating on it, and I thought whether you're young or you're old, the world, the flesh, and the devil is continually pursuing us. Therefore, we better be in hot pursuit after God. The devil is as a roaring lion going about, seeking whom he may sit down beside and cuddle up and watch television. Is that what the Bible says? Seeking whom he may, what? Devour. Now, I watched some folk last night devour some food. By the way, I enjoyed the food and fellowship last night, and I appreciate the church caring for us and giving us a nice place to stay. The devil's after us. The hellhounds, his little demonic foe is after us. But let's not be uh, too flippant with all of that and pass off to the devil. Let's not give the devil more credit than he is due. Because we are selfish, we are lazy, we are poor, weak Christians. Isn't it interesting that we have the easiest to read versions of the Bible, but we've got the weakest Christians ever? I mean, you walk into a Christian bookstore and you go to the Bible section, and I, I, it blows my mind how many different versions. It's like, okay, if you want... If you want the real deal, here's the authorized version. Uh, if you want a little more modern, easy to read, here's this, here's that. If you've got teenagers, this is a good Bible. Uh, if they're about 10 or 12 years old, here's this. And if they're, if they're little, uh, here's another. How in the world can a family memorize Scripture together? How can a family get the real truth from Scripture when one Bible is a thought translation? It's just a paraphrase. Oh, God, help us. David, whether he was young or old, he had somebody that was hunting after his life. Whether we are young or old, we have the world, the flesh, and the devil. So what must we do? Number one, Psalm 63, verse number one, this first phrase, what must we do? We must have a personal relationship with God Almighty. Notice he says, Oh God, thou art somebody else's God. What's he say? My God. When you read the Psalms, it's almost like you could just say, The Lord is my, and then you fill in the blank. He is my rock. He is my high tower. He is my fortress. 
Uh, he, he's the preserver of my soul. He's the keeper of my life. He is the creator of, of my life. I, I'm the sheep of his pasture. David says, oh God, thou art my God. Can you say that this morning? Do you know that there's been a point in time of your life where you have by faith repented of your sins and took Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? I'm not talking about you just one day signing a card at the end of the invitation. I'm not talking about you just giving mental assent towards God. I'm not talking about you just praying a prayer. I'm talking about has there been a point in time in your life where you know that you have been born again? He says, oh God, thou art my God. Now, if you've been saved, do you have a continual personal daily relationship with the Lord? Do you really own him as king? Does he really own you as a child? Oh God, thou art my God. Do your neighbors, do your co-workers, do your friends, do your family, do they know that you belong to the king of kings? Have they heard anything Good about God from your lips. Oh God, thou art my God. It was a personal pursuit that David had for God. Number two, verse number one, you find that he had a private pursuit towards God. We've talked about this already, but he says, early will I seek thee. I, I tend to believe it was a, it was a private pursuit. If I really want to spend time with God, i got to get alone. I've got to ditch the phone. I've got to find somewhere where my wife and children are not and get alone with God. What did Jesus say in the New Testament? Go in and shut the door. Get alone. He says, early while I seek thee, a early empty place, a solitary place where he can get alone and saturate his spirit, soul, and body in God Almighty. Early will I seek thee. It's a private pursuit. He got alone with God. We've got so much noise in our world. I, we, my wife and I, we're, this isn't a holier-than-thou way of life, but we, pers we don't own a television. We got married June 10th, 2011, and we just decided by the grace and help of Almighty God, we're never going to allow one of those things into our homes because there's too much to do in life, books to read, visits to make, recreation to enjoy, than to sit behind a TV which stands for tormenting vulture. What does a vulture eat on? Dead things. And you sit behind the television day in, day out, and it just eats on that brain and deadens your spiritual life. I hear people say all the time, there's nothing good on the television. How many of you would raise your hand and agree with that? About half of you. Then why pay for it? Somebody says, well, I, I like to watch the news, the weather. For the ladies, it's the cooking channel, right? Um, and for the men, maybe news, weather, sports, and the history channel. I don't know. Hunting channel. So you mean to tell me you're going to pay that amount of money every month to just watch three or four channels? 
when you go to Lahore, Pakistan, and you drive around, and there's mosque after mosque after mosque after mosque. There's Hindus bowing down to rocks and trees and leaves and flowers and thinking that cows are holy while you sit around and watch Sean Hannity be an alarmist on Fox News and pay money for it and ignore God and His Word. Some of us Appalachian people back in West Virginia, they can sit around and watch the news for an hour and barely get through a one-hour church service. They can sit around and watch the news for one hour and then nearly regurgitate word for word what the news commentator has said. You can get up and preach a one-word sermon and pound that word and illustrate that word and compare Scripture with Scripture about that word for an hour straight, get finished, and that fella not know what you preached on. How does that happen? There's no pursuit of God. There's no early will I seek thee. The people that love preaching and love the Word of God are the people that read the Word of God. They're the people that study the Word of God. They're the people that memorize the Word of God. Oh God, Thou art my God. Early will I seek Thee. It was a personal pursuit. It was a private pursuit. Number three, it was a passionate pursuit. Notice in verse number one, he says, My flesh, my soul, it longeth for thee, it thirsteth for thee. Notice that the my soul becomes, comes before the my flesh. It, it was the inner man. It was the part that no one else could see. He says, my, my soul, it, it thirsts for thee. My, my flesh, it, it longeth for thee. It was a passionate pursuit. It wasn't just physical, but it was spiritual. It's almost like David knew something about Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 6. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be, what church? Filled. It wasn't just physical. He's in a barren land. He's looking around him and he's, he's in a wilderness. We, we, we think about a wilderness and my mind goes to trees and rocks and hills and all this sort of thing with a bunch of lush vegetation. He's out in the wilderness. No, 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 that's not the case for him. He's in a barren and dry land in Judah. And he sees the real estate. He sees the landscape of his geographical location. And he realizes he's not in the sanctuary. He's not in the meeting place of God's people and enjoying uh, the prayer of God's people all together and enjoying the word of God in the company of other people but he is in a barren land he's been pursued after like a wild animal but yet his soul is pursuing God and he wasn't being lazy about it he was being passionate about it and notice in this passage of scripture he, he's praising he's not pouting the pastor quoted a, a Verse from the beginning, this is 
the day that the Lord hath made, I will rejoice and be. When he said, when he said that, I thought, this is the day that the Lord hath made. I will rejoice and be mad in it. Not me personally, but that's how so many people look at it. Well, I got to go to church again. I sure hope that preacher's got something good to say today. How many of you ever went to church thought, I hope the preacher has a good sermon? Anybody? One, two, three, four, yeah. I've thought that before myself. And I was the one that was going to be preaching. <laughs> I sure hope it's a good one. <laughs> if it's in the Bible, it's a good one. A uh, preacher friend, he went, he got picked up, uh, I gotta hurry up. A preacher friend got picked up, picked up from the airport in Texas, and the pastor picked him up from the airport, and, and they were fellowshipping on the way to the church and all this sort of stuff. And the pastor looked over and he said, um, "I sure hope you preach something different." And uh, Joe said, "What? Do, what do you mean?" He said, uh, "He said the last four guest preachers that I've had at my church have all preached." the same sermon with the same outline with the same illustrations. I'm hearing this story and I'm thinking, how's that possible? <laughs> so when this man got done preaching, <laughs> he went to the pastor. He said, how was that? Was that different? The pastor said, yep, it wasn't even in the Bible. <laughs> and he was just kidding him. But uh, some people are like, oh, I've got to go to church. It's raining outside. i got to, you know. He is praising, not pouting. Look at it. Verse number three. I love this verse. Because thy loving kindness, not just his love, but his loving kindness, is better than life. You ever looked at the love of God, the loving kindness of God, better than life? I mean, we've got more people praying to keep saints out of heaven than sinners out of hell. We got more people that are fighting and trying to hold on to this life here. And I'm thinking, man, I'm ready to go. The trumpet can sound at any moment. I'm out of here. I'll let one of y'all finish preaching. His loving kindness is better than life. He says, my lips shall Praise thee. He's not pouting. He's not whining. He's not down in the dumps. He's not all grumpy. He's not all stumpy. He's not all lumpy. But he is praising the great God of heaven. Not just in verse 3, but look at verse number 4. He says, thus will I bless thee while I live. He didn't have an easy life. From the moment he stepped in the valley of Elah, his life forever changed while he was on this terrestrial ball which we call earth. His life changed. He didn't have an easy life. But he says, I will bless thee. He's praising, not pouting. Look at uh, the finish the verse. I will lift up my hands in thy name. Verse 5, my soul shall be satisfied with marrow and fatness. He said, what in the world does that mean? That just simply means the best in abundance. And he says, and my mouth shall praise thee. Notice this, with joyful lips. 
It's like he's a child of God and he's not mad about it. He's not fussing. He's not cussing. He's not grieving. He's not mourning, M-O-U, not M-O-R, about the whole thing. He is joyful in God in the midst of a barren land while somebody is pursuing to him to take his life. But yet he is praising and not pouting. It goes on. Look in verse number seven. You find him praising because thou hast been my help. Therefore, in the shadow of thy wings will I rejoice. Can you rejoice in God this morning? You say, why, you don't know what I'm going through. You don't know the headache and the heartache and the pain and what's going on in my family's life. I don't know, but God in heaven knows. And the God that split the Red Sea and the Jordan River and blew up the walls of Jericho and they come crumbling down and kept the Hebrew children in the fiery furnace from coming out from even smelling like smoke and the list could go on. That God is not changed. He's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. And if he took care of the children of Israel and he took care of the early believers and the early church, he can take care of you. Rejoice in him. Praise him. Somebody says, well, I'll praise him when he answers my prayer. Eh. You ought to praise God that he heard your prayer. He's praising. He's not pouting. He's not whining. He's not buried his head in a pillow somewhere and went into some gloomy, dark stage of life and turning his back on God. No, he is praising God. That's one way to exalt the Lord going through the storms, through the trials, through the tribulations of life. Praise Him. Because if you don't praise Him, you're going to start looking inward and then you start pouting. You start trying to figure out, how can I manage this problem? How can I work out this difficulty? How can I straighten her out? How can I fix him? I'd like a stomp a mud hole in him. Is that the spirit of Christ? If it be possible, live peaceably with all men. How did Jesus treat those that were so ill and mean and unkind and cruel to him? He healed one of his captor's ears. Did I say that right? Is that right grammar? One of his ears? I mean, old Simon Peter pulls out the sword, chops off Malchus's ear. It hits the ground. Jesus reaches over. This blows my mind. Picks up the old boy's ear and puts it back on his head without any duct tape. <laughs> without any J.B. Weld. I don't read in the Bible where he had a needle and thread or a welder he puts it back on no peroxide no alcohol no emergency room and yet Malchus has that miracle performed on him but yet he still joins in with the other men and takes, if my ear got cut off this morning, 
and Pastor James Polly reached down to the ground and put it on my ear, but put it back on my head. I don't, I don't think I would arrest him. I, I wouldn't be taking him through a false trial and accusing him and lying about him to present him before a crowd. It says, well, we'll take the murderer. We'll take Barabbas. Crucify him. Kill him. Nail him. Jesus ministered grace and mercy and love towards his captors. May God help us when we're going through a desert season of life. Learn to praise him. Number four, it was a persistent pursuit. Notice in verse number eight of Psalm 63, he says, My soul followeth hard after thee. He wanted to be close to God. If we're going to be close to God, we have to be persistent in pursuing God. Not just pursuing Him at 11 o'clock on Sunday morning. Not just when the revival meeting comes. But every day of our life, being in pursuit of the one who pursued us. Because on your bulletin, it says, we love Him because He first loved us. God was the initiator in all that. Did Adam go looking for God in Genesis chapter 3? He tried to hide himself. God came looking for him. Can we just pause for a few moments this morning and pray? Every head bowed, every eye closed. And pray this way, Lord... Help me to pursue you passionately, privately. Make it my personal responsibility to feed my soul and my flesh daily in the prayer closet and in the Word of God. We don't need lazier Christians. We need more ardent Christians, fervent Christians, zealous Christians. Some instruction can be found in a meeting like this. You may get worked up about it just a little bit in here, but the real grind to it all is when you leave here. Say, God in heaven help me to be the Christian that you saved me to be. Father in heaven, I pray that you'd help every heart and every home that's represented here this morning. Help us to be faithful and true to you till our dying breath. God, help us to divorce ourselves from weak, anemic, lazy, second-rate, run-of-the-mill type of Christianity. Crowd out the ugliness of sin in our life. Crush us of our own strength. Cripple us from our own pride and prayerlessness. Revive our hearts this morning. 
Help us to look one way to Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray and all God's people said. Amen.